Hey up and welcome to the Strategy Sessions. My name is Andy Jarvis, I am the host of the show and I'm the Strategy Director at Eximo Marketing. Today I'm joined by Ian Forrester and Ryan Clark, the CMO and Head of E-Commerce for Statsports. They're a B2B company that track performance data for professional athletes and they also have a, a direct-to-consumer element where they sell the same tracking software to consumers and you can track your performance against the pros. It's a hell of a business based here in Northern Ireland um, in Newry and selling across the world with market leading software. You don't need me to tell you about it. Why? Because Ian and Ryan are going to do a much better job than that. And here they go. So let's get straight on with the episode. Today, I'm welcomed by Ian and Ryan from Stat Sports. How are you doing, chaps? Good. Doing very good. Excellent stuff. So first of all, let, let's get in. What is Stat Sports and what do you do? I think most people who might know anything about the product will remember the Euros, Ukrainian fella takes his shirt off, runs around wearing a sports bra. That's you guys, isn't it? Essentially, yeah, but there's a little bit more to it than that, unfortunately. So um, that, in, a, in a nutshell, what are we? We are a performance analysis company. So what we do is we have a pod that sits in the back of that vest that records lots of physical data, um, 5 million points per every, every 90 minutes games of football. And then that is then produced through various devices like iPads, phones, and desktops to sort of give software analysis on it and data analysis. So we're essentially providing human physical data to elite sports teams and beyond just to sort of know what their players are doing, etc. So as someone whose um, undergrad degree was in spell, it was supposed to be in sports science, but I ditched yeah. that bit because I, I struggled with the science bit and went into the management and marketing element. But the one thing I learned back in 1998, um, other than the fact TVs were still black and white back then, was that elite sport and the science and the, the data behind that yeah. wasn't elite. It, yeah. it, it was in the dark ages, effectively, yeah. wasn't it? And, and you are kind of one of the companies that are bringing it into the future, in, into the, the modern world and beyond, right? Five million data points in 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, absolutely. We were founded in 2008 at the time, and it's like... Our first three clients were Leinster Rugby, Arsenal and Man United. So not a bad three to sort of get going with. But it was Good a time the likes, of, the likes of Ferguson was just almost blown away by the fact that, that, that you could almost record this data and then what it does. Before then, it was all about, I, as a coach, I know best. Um, it was all about, I know my players more than anybody else. Well, these players now are F1 cars. They are highly tuned athletes, simple as that. So what works for one won't work for another. So basically, everyone's got their own data sets. Everyone knows when they're hitting their, their maximum levels. Everyone knows when they're at risk of fatigue and injury. So we, we just provide the data, I say just the data, um, in terms of what that looks like for the performance team to, the, um, to then use. Yeah, I, I remember one of the things that, that kind of blew my mind at the time, there was a Premier League football team had a, a higher injury rate than any other Premier League football team, and they yeah. changed their head of, head of fitness and conditioning, yeah. and the injury rate plummeted. Uh, and we were studying this at uni as to why it was. And we were trying to come up with ideas and thoughts as to what, what the reason was that, that this guy managed to change their injury rate. And what it was, was he'd worked in football before. The previous, <laughs> we'd come up with all sorts of theories and concepts and this yeah. and the other. And it was as simple as the previous head of fitness had come from working in Olympic sports. Olympians have to peak for a two-week yeah. period or a, a one-day or two-day period. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they often crash. And if you watch Olympic performances within a couple of weeks of the Olympics, they're often terrible compared to where they were before because they peaked and they're, they're off the yeah. crest of that wave. And the, the head of sport and performance had brought that thinking to professional football, trying to get athletes at 99, 100% all the time. And they were just breaking. And you're yeah. just like, oh, of 
so obvious. But that yeah. was the the that was elite professional football, the richest game in the world in 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 our country at the time. And you're thinking, is that it? Is that, that as good as it got at the time? So so you're revolutionising how this works, basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. But but to your point there, it's having the staff to be able to interpret that data and making it actionable, really, as well. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, not to sort of throw facts out here, but I think it was Wolves about two or three years ago, whereby they used like 17 outfield players through, through, through the season. Well, that's remarkable in terms of how many times he played football, but that was them really using the technology and understanding it. When's my player at risk of injury? When does he optimise it in his performance? But then again, other things around that as well is like, we know when you get Premier League stars, you then go away to international duty and then their international coaches, the thing that they know best, it sometimes upsets the apple cart as well. That's why you always mm-hmm. want to see Premier League doctors and staff travel with their with, with, with their top assets because they're the ones who have to pick up the pieces after the international breaks. So, um, no, it's um, it's an ever-changing world, but it's more reliant on data and there's more of it and it's, it's knowing what to do with it. Like you say, 5 million data points a game, that's fantastic. I don't expect someone sat there going with every 5 million data points sort of recording it on, a, on an Excel spreadsheet, mm-hmm. but it's sort of being able to sort of create what's best for that player and that team. I think the, the dependency of the game as well is changing. Like if you look at the likes of Leeds, who play like a high tempo, high press kind of game, the dependency on the player and what they're expected to kind of play that kind of strategy is is completely different now too. So the the requirements of the individual player physically is is transformed over the years since since nineteen ninety eight. So like, this type of technology makes that so much more transparent. And make it work. So, so tell us what's the background to the company? Um, you two different accents on the call. So, where's the headquarters? And you, you know, what, how did the company come into being? You said it was founded 2008. 2008, yeah. So, our fearless leaders and co-founders, Alan Clark and Sean O'Connor. So, the story goes basically they were stood watching Dundalk FC, and they said, "Wouldn't it be good if we could track players?" One had an engineering background, one had a sports science background, and it kind of just came together from there, really. So. At the time, that was 2008, I think the first client, it was Leinster, they won the European Cup in 2009. So everyone kind of went, what's that little bump on the back? What are they doing that we aren't? And then they managed to get into a small club called Man United and another small club called Arsenal. So after that, they kind of, for the next 10 years, because they were ahead of the game, but also there's other brands out there who imitate us, but, but we were basically, our technology was the best, the most reliable, the most accurate, FIFA proven, tested, gold mark standards and all that. We organically just kind of grew from there to what it is today in the elite space, which is about, I think it's just touching nearly 800 clubs across 50 countries. So it tells you kind of where we've got to. And that fundamentally, it's the product shit up, if I'm being brutally honest with you. So you're kind of quite quite ballsy with it. But um, we continue to develop. You have to evolve with it. Of course you do. Otherwise you get caught up. And then we keep doing that. So from a marketing point of view, and I know you're, um, you're both hands-on in, in, in the marketing world, one of the accusations that's always leveled at markets is when you're working with a shit-hot product that's used yeah. by Man United, but used by Arsenal, that's used yeah. by Ukraine and international teams and Leinsters, and it's like, oh, marketing's easy then, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> like the, the reason I don't have any hair is that people throw that accusation at you all the time. Yeah. You know, when, when it's shit and it's not working, it's your fault. When everything's flying, it's like, oh, you've got an easy job, you haven't you? It's not yeah, quite absolutely. the case, I, is it? Yeah, I hear that. I absolutely hear that. I think, like you say, if, if you break down our model into two sort of business models, the B2B space, which is our elite teams, basically, you could argue the first 10 years, the marketing side of it was very much organic because the product was the best and they're going to, in, into a new industry. What we've got now since 2019 going into the B2C space, where basically we've now got the technology that anybody can use. 
but it's it's hard because in terms of number one you've got a new brand number one you've got a new product category so we're kind of, we're trying to say this is what it is this is what it does and this is why you need it so that kind of process in terms of telling people what you need to be doing and why, why you need it it's a, it, it's a bit of a slog i mean coupled with that i mean ryan will tell you from digital um, world as well the attention span of people now is next to nothing well in old money when you're doing b2b you're allowed a 30 minute presentation and everyone goes yeah i get it whereas now you've got what 12 seconds to kind of go this is who we are this is what it does this is why you need it oh there's hurricane so it's a case of <laughs> so it's a case of um it's a real it's, it's a real journey that, that, that we're on but we know that people are now getting it people are understanding it yes you take the flash moments like ukraine and build build things around them i call them kind of energy moments in terms of what they are strike while the iron's hot but um yeah we've still got another a long way to go in terms of just letting everybody know what it is so it isn't just this bloke sports bra which we still get which we have to take with a <laughs> pinch of salt and, and say it, it, at least it's something but it's much more than that um so yeah no it, um it's it's hard but it's yeah. brilliant at the same time it's football it's the best players in the world you can't not love it and ryan you're you're a rugby player as well aren't you and i know from from my own experience player, playing rugby, rugby Unofficially retired, I think. <laughs> don't, listen, listen, mate. Don't ever retire. Like I've retired three times and keep coming back, and I'm 42 now, and I won't officially retire again. But I, there's, there's certainly a lot of um, my ex colleagues who probably need a sports bra uh, when you think of your average uh, rugby it's player. Performance but, uh, fest. It's a performance, performance vest. Oh, sorry, oh. sorry. <laughs> performance vest. So as a, as a sportsman yourself, running the, the digital marketing element of, of the company, is, is it like, are you living the dream? And then how does that boil down to actually, but you've still got a bloody hard job to get into? Yeah, I think I've, I've always in the past kind of almost like bragged about the fact that I've worked in different companies in different sectors and thought, oh, it's just product X. And like you apply the same kind of methodology and the same approaches and you can do, you can pretty much sell anything. Whereas when I came into stat sports and you're working in an arena where I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing the sport, I'm engaging with analysis and sport. Um, and even to an extent I was doing GPS analysis for a team previously, you actually realize that you can, working in sport and doing digital marketing or e-commerce, it's just like an added 10, 15%. It just gives you that extra context for if you're going into like a messaging, uh, messaging matrix and you're trying to understand the motivations of someone, um, it just gives you that extra burst. So for me, it's, it is, it's kind of living the dream and it's kind of like honing into that kind of that niche or that understanding, extra understanding that you have that, it would take you a lot longer to deep dive into if you're coming fresh in an industry. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's helped massively with the learning curve, but it doesn't help um, necessarily with the nuance of scale in a brand. That's like a next level thing where you're trying to go, right, this is my experience as a guy from Northern Ireland who's playing rugby, but what, how does that relate to a 16-year-old that's playing on the West Coast of America playing soccer, for example? It's a completely different persona and completely different motivations. So, Yes, it helps with the learning curve, but it only takes you so far, you know. Gotcha. No, and I, and I um, my, my first proper marketing job was at Durham County Cricket Club. So working in professional cricket, we had England games, we had concerts. And there was times when you felt like the luckiest person in the world. But then there's other times where you, you realize you've got the spread, spreadsheet to get ready for the board presentation. And at some point, you know, they're just numbers on a bit of paper, right? It doesn't matter what the, yeah. what's going on around it. You've just got to get that board presentation right because your budget next year depends on it, and you know that's where you've got to have that sort of professional integrity to, to keep pushing through. I, I think you can you can follow the pitfalls of their assumptions as well from your own experience. So if I'm coming like, oh, I'm a rugby player, I've used this technology before. This is what I think. It can take all like the 
the objectivity out of any data analysis you're doing. So it's like, I think this, and therefore the results of that were um, being a lot more sort of, I don't know, like you're, if you're more of an insecure marketer in terms of you're, you're not sort of using your own ego or your own experience per se to dictate what your messaging is going to be, then um, it makes it a lot easier um, going into that. My favorite line as a consultant when I move into working with a new business, people say, I think, I'm like, I don't care what you think. I really don't. I just don't care what you think. It's not important to the discussion. So you're right about that, being able to check your ego out and actually say, this is what is happening and here's what we can prove, I think is really different. And that's when I always think you see a good marketer when, you know, when they go, it's not about what I think, it's here's what we can prove or here's what we're testing and things like that. So so how did you get into working at Stats? But what was the career path um, for you, Ryan, to get there into the digital role? And then Ian, I'll come to you with the same question afterwards. Um, so I... I went, I went to Queen's University here and then straight after I graduated, I went to work in an architecture firm in, in Brooklyn um, doing a marketing role there, which was, I'm not, I'm not going to offend anyone by saying it's the most hipster office I've ever been in my entire life. Um, that's why I got tattoos, yeah, yeah off the back of that one job. <laughs> I, th- I remember one day walking in with a Starbucks cup and like the fa- like, as if I just murdered someone. Um, yeah. it's, just, well, like, it's, it's true, cup. honestly, you know. Worst person in history walking anywhere with a Starbucks mug, to be honest. Yeah, yeah true. I learned, learned the hard way there. But yeah, so worked there um, as sort of a, a marketing kind of coordinator role. Um, came home, worked for Queen's in a digital role um, focusing on sort of Southeast Asia market and, and India and China, um, doing t- campaigns there. Um, and then worked for Barclay Group um, in kind of a SaaS kind of company. And then just the opportunity to come up for Statsports and when you see tech and you see sport combined together, it's kind of something you want to get your teeth into straight away. Um, and just luckily managed to get through a couple of first round interviews and, and, and made a mark as a digital marketing executive originally, um, starting off in Stat Sports. So. Brilliant. It also helped that Barclay, I thought was Barclays, the bank. So obviously, guys <laughs> are all right here. And then he had, he had, he had major decision-making sort of prowess at Barclays. I'm going like, you're only a young lad. Do you know what I mean? In terms of, anyway, no, it's not Barclays, it's Barclay. Oh yeah, of course it is. So <laughs> it helps. Anyway. By, the, by that time, the ink was dry on the contract and there yeah, was no absolutely. going back. Everything happens for a reason, I say. So happy days. Absolutely. And what about you, Ian? We haven't actually said what your role is at Stat Sports. So tell us that and then talk us through, sort of dance us through your CV that got you there. So Chief Marketing Officer at um, Stat Sports, um, obviously looking after the whole marketing um, set but also much more commercially minded as well in terms of routes to the markets and sales channels. Obviously, e-com is a massive one of that, but we look at like third-party retailers, direct sales, et cetera, et cetera. Just again, just growing those sales channels and routes to market, basically. How I ended up here in Belfast, um, I've spent, what, 15 years in sports retail um, from a sort of marketing assistant level right up to an international head of marketing at JD Sports. Um, My international role i was around the world wherever i needed to be i think we opened in 15 countries in two years i was in two years i was, I was in that role um but a bit like probably yourself by the sounds of it i met a girl from belfast in a manchester nightclub at 2am um and then two kids later she decided to move home um so that was that really but no that said though i mean when we first moved over i was still doing the old role and sort of keeping an eye on things thinking what's in northern ireland for me and then i've been tracking stat sports anyway but in terms of sport related massively growing company international presence it ticked the same boxes as my previous re- uh, as, as my previous employer so an honor to sort of be part of it an honor to be part of what we're doing in terms of the um, the accelerated journey that we're on i think i'm going to jump in and bang the drum a little bit for northern ireland at this stage so i've been it's nearly 
12 years, uh, as you can tell, because I've picked the accent up, uh, how long I've, I've been in Northern Ireland. <clears throat> and um, uh, <laughs> there is someone who listens to the podcast who emailed me, knows that I'm podcasting from Northern Ireland, who's like, you've got such a lovely Irish accent. I'm like, uh, this is awful. But anyway, if you're listening, it, it's not. It's a, it's a <laughs> it's fine. Anyway, um, and I think when I first moved over, I felt this absolute fear of feeling of dread. You know, I'd worked yeah. at Durham County Cricket Club, and uh, at Newcastle College, got a job at UTV, and then started looking around the rest of the market, thinking, where do I go next? And the answer was nowhere, right? <laughs> it was just, it felt like there was nothing to do and nowhere to go. Over the last decade, there's a lot gone on in Belfast and a lot of change happened there. There's some huge companies come in, there's some interesting jobs, there's some bigger companies. We still, I think, we don't have the big e-commerce retailers, the, the, like the JD Sports or the headquarters of those sorts of places. But there's a lot more happening in the local market, isn't there? And, and kind of that's exciting for people living here and for the area in, in general. I think so, yeah. And like, I, I was a bit like yourself in terms of when I made this move, I was like, this is the one job I can do in Northern Ireland. I better stick this out. But the more you speak to people, the more you meet people, the more you're around it, you kind of think, you know, the opportunity here is endless. Uh, and, and, and it really is. Is it in sports? Probably not. But at the same time, the other areas that are really sort of thriving, absolutely. Um, so in the, what I've been working out now, just over three and a half years, three years, it's in terms of you're much more confident that there's loads more out there for you, which, which like yourself, when moving over, you're moving over thinking, well, what am I doing here? But at yeah. the same time, for us, it's gone um, in, the, in the right direction. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think like the, the best example of that, I think, is when you see a, com a, a company that's not just described as like, oh, they're a Northern Irish success story or it's they're from our country and it's like, oh, that's Northern Irish, where you see companies like, I like to think stat sports, you see like the black box, like on an international stage that are, these yeah. are big company. And then people might realize secondary that they're actually like HQ is here. So I think that's the best example of like, we're not just insular, like a little small thing and successful for, for here. It's, it's successful globally. But you see more and more of those companies. But also the, the level of talent here shouldn't be undermined as well. So I mean, ASOS have just moved about 150 jobs over here as well. from like mm -hmm. a sort of software yeah. development piece. So there's something happening here that's obviously that's obviously a benefit to those large companies. And um, yeah, don't blame them. Definitely. And, and just to, to pick up a on your point, and I'm only going to say this and move on, because the, the whole, oh, good for we Northern Ireland uh, boils my piss, that mentality really, just yeah, drives yeah. me. Absolutely. You know, like you, New Zealand's got 4 million people and he's a world leader in cricket and two forms yeah. of rugby and various other things. Don't tell me that having a small population means we should just be happy with turning up at an event. It's like, no, 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 you come to win. Don't just turn up to be part of it and go, oh, isn't it nice we did this? So that annoys the hell out of me. Anyway, last, last thing on, uh, on uh, recruitment and then we'll get back to talking about the business. Um, are you still recruiting at the minute? You've got a, a head of marketing role available. Is that still live at the moment? Uh, yes, it is. Um, yeah, we've got a number of roles to be honest with you. Um, I think we're recruiting about between 15 and 20 at the moment. Uh, we've got a head of marketing role. That's more from working alongside Ryan, really, in terms of sort of campaign delivery and the kind of um, sort of up the line media requirements from there as well, because I'm sort of jumping into that commercial side more and more just to try mm -hmm. and drive those sales. So um, that's a... That's a huge opportunity. And there's loads throughout the company as well. Like I said, at the moment, like I'm sure everyone's the same, we've grown that much as remote workers. The moment we may go back into the office, we're all going to need fucking mezzanine desks or bunk beds. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, 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 that, that's how much we've grown during the last sort of 12 to 24 months. Um, so, yeah. On the stuff. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to the jobs. Um, 
if you do want to, I think the head of marketing role has been open for a little bit. So if that does interest you, get in quick um, because it'll probably be closing if you don't listen to this fairly quickly. Anyway, moving on from there. You've so referral be there as well. Got yeah, please. I, I, I'm, uh, same as, same as a, a recruitment consultant, I think 25% of year one salary. Um, so please quote strategy sessions. Listen, <laughs> um, it's a verbal contract, lads. You've already said that. <laughs> um, so let, let's talk. B2B, first of all, in terms of what, what's the growth plans? Is it, are you looking to more football teams, new sports? Are you getting out of, you kind of, you, you seem to have a, a bit of a, a speciality in football at the minute, but uh, you're obviously in rugby as well. What, what's the growth plan for that B2B side of the business? It's kind of, it's, it's basically any elite sports team around the world, essentially. I, I suppose what we've, what we've managed to do over the last kind of probably five years as well the technology when it first came in, it was the best of the best, which is why the top teams in the world used it. So whilst we've got the majority of the Premier League, we've got, what is it? What was it? The top four rugby nations at the moment are all ours. Um, we've just signed the New York Yankees. We've just got three NFL teams, which is all fantastic. There's obviously a huge gap in between that in terms of still still elite sports persons. So what we then brought out is more technology to sort of be able to... Um, sort of be able to provide what they need, whether it's the level of detail or the price point, we're now going after, if you are an elite sports team, we're basically going after you, as simple as that. Um, we specialise in outdoor sports because of the GPS functionality on it. Um, so that's what we're going after. There is still, there's obviously going to be a, a finite number of people, um, sorry, a finite number of teams that there are, but at the same time, there's still a lot to go at because say, take football, for example. Yeah, the Premier League get it, Championship get it. League One, League Two, maybe getting it. Take that around the world, and everyone's in the same boat. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's it's taking that time to sort of filter down. So the opportunities in that space is is, is still going. Even down so, to, I had a conversation with some um, lacrosse organisation over in the US. Well, straight away, yeah, of course it is. It's yeah. an opportunity. Yeah, and lacrosse is a different league over there compared to here. It Absolutely. just seems to be a couple of posh kids at university running around. Whereas over there, it's a it's a major event. Of course um, it is. So just, just touching on the USA, you've got uh, uh, Paul McAfee leading the, uh, and I laugh when I say his name. I went to uni with Paul. I haven't seen him right, since okay. 2001. So I can't, I can't pretend that we're best mates. So hello, Paul, if you're listening. Um, but you've got an office in the US leading the US expansion. I presume that's just based on the size of the market over there is infinitely bigger than the size of the market in, in most of the places. Yeah, well, President Paul, as we call him now, because he's the president of America. So that's where he's just at sports. There we go. Hey, Paul. <laughs> I, bet, I bet he wanted you to call him President no, Paul. No, 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 no. Officially changed his name. <laughs> no, yeah. So we've got offices over in Chicago. And again, it's just taking the opportunity that's there. If you take the NWSL, we've got a league-wide deal. I think we've got 16 of the MLS teams. NFL, we've got three teams. We just picked up the Major League Baseball accreditation system uh, what last year. So we've got three MLB teams. And then below all that, you've then got the NCAA setup, which is, it's a monster. It's an absolute monster. And the more you dig into it and the more you read about it, it's just, it is, it is, a, it is a beast. Take, Ryan sent me a podcast on the, on the NFL last week in terms of what's the NFL worth? 11 billion compared to the mm-hmm. Premier League is 5 billion. Now the Premier League's pretty big. So for the NFL yeah. to be more than twice the size of, uh, of the Premier League, just tells you the, the sort of scale that we're going after. When you get into, I'm just looking for it here, see if I can find it. But when you get into um, talking about the size of college sports in America, I, I think maybe most people listening have an understanding of it. But college sport in America is at a different level to anything yeah. you've experienced. What I'm looking for here is the biggest sports stadiums in the world, because something oh, yeah, like four absolutely. of the top 10 
belong to college older. teams, don't it's they? All those, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, um, yeah, no, so it's, just it's, it, that'll be the Oklahoma Stadium. I think it is. You talk about all, all the Michigan State one, uh, which is um, where... so. I've just, yeah, Michigan. Yes, yeah, so I've just found uh, India opened a new cricket stadium in, in Ahmedabad, named after the president the other year, last year, in fact. So that's the biggest now, one hundred and thirty-two thousand. There's one in North Korea, one hundred and fourteen thousand. Allegedly. I can't, imagine, yeah, I can't imagine there'll be a lot of international sport taking place there. Got really nice, you've got a really nice CAD design to show it off. <laughs> Ta-da! And then after that, you've got Michigan, which is uh, for Michigan Wolverines. You've got Beaver Stadium in Pennsylvania for Penn State. Uh, yeah. Nittany Lions football. Columbus, Ohio, their, their college team. College field in Texas. Knoxville, Pennsylvania, uh, Tennessee, sorry. Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. All of these are college football um, so out of the top 10, it, all but three are uh, American college sports. It's insane. And that, so that's a market you're just moving into now, and that's how big it is. Yeah, again, starting again in soccer, um, you've got North Carolina, which is like the, the women's soccer team that you want, uh, then yeah. through the soccers and then into the um, Div 1 kind of football, which obviously is American football, what, what, what we would say. So, yeah, the, the opportunity is just there. But then again, take a step back from there, even the high schools, the facilities at these high schools as well is just, it, it is second to none. It is Premier League kind of facilities for a high school. I mean, they do, they do take their sport seriously, but in terms of, as, as we all do, but in terms of the funding and what's in place for it all, it is second to none. There was something passed in the early 90s, I think it's called Title IX, and it's, and it's all about kind of like equality, which is great. Outside the, outside the big four of football, basketball, baseball and hockey, if you give men X number of sports scholarships, you need to give women the same number of sports scholarships. So again, take example, US women's soccer. They are by far the best team in the world and probably about 10 years ahead of everybody else because they've had those facilities and training right from the early ages, uh, which, is, which is fantastic for the sport. Um, and you sort of look at what those American ladies are doing. They're absolute will be as by a mile. Yeah, brilliant stuff. So go on, Ryan, sorry. So I was going to say the, the American market as well, even from like a broadcast perspective, the way they consume data Nuts. in sport is completely different um, to how we do it over here. I think we're, we're catching up, but there is an appetite for data that is completely like next level um, from scouting right through to broadcast. So it just lends itself to our product really well. And I think that paired with the opportunity of the volume of players that are playing, plus the, the size of the pockets as well with, with some of the, the sport, and especially in soccer, I think it just, it's a good recipe for, for an opportunity there for us. Which almost as if you read my notes, you've managed to segue from from the B to B and help me uh, land the plane on the B to C side of the field. Oh, so it's yeah. I know you're you're, not, you're easy at this. You're an expert. This is, this so, is first podcast. You love yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not your first rodeo, is it? So, um, talk to me about that. So you've got this professional product that uh, people have been wearing, and then where did the idea come from to sell it out to just the the, the punter on the street? And maybe talk us through the Arsenal example as well. Yeah, I mean, just to start off there, basically, again, uh, the owners in 2019, I think it was, kind of said, this technology needs to be made available for everybody. It's one of those, it's that kind of form or the best players in the world are using it. Why can't I use it? So we brought out um, the, the, the technology. It's not 250 metrics, it's 16 metrics. Um, and just giving the, the kids, the, the sort of grassroots players, the amateurs, the, the chance to use the technology to to effectively improve the game in terms of get yourself faster, faster not fatter, get yourself faster, get yourself fitter. Um, if it's get yourself fatter, can you send me one? I'm in for it. <laughs> no problem. But in terms of just um, 
just going from there. So, I mean, again, and, and there's, it's no mean feat to try and that product education. This guy to my left here was, was, was very much key to that in terms of using the digital marketing um, tools that is disposable and, and then growing them. So over to you, Ryan, I think as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's bringing that core technology from the elite game and using the trust factors associated with that and those elite teams and democratizing that data and putting it in the hands of the everyday sort of player, um, which is what we're trying to achieve. Now, there's, there's, there's strengths and weaknesses to having that elite alignment where some people then associate with the product with being only with elite. Yeah. I'm not at that level yet, which means that it's not for me, which is a hard product positioning piece. Yeah. There's also an issue with, not necessarily an issue, but a challenge with the data and the level of data and being trying to decide this is what a elite sports scientist needs and this is what an everyday player needs and how do you present that data in a way that can, can create the right outcome for those individual personas. Um, I think that that's, that's been part of our challenge and our learnings over the last couple of years. Um, the great thing about having great ambassadors is, for me, it's a, it's a great stop the scroll. You put Harry Kane's face on, a, on an ad that goes out on Instagram and you're going to stop the scroll. However, how do you tell, how do you educate the customer that this isn't just a product for Harry Kane, this is a product for a 16-year-old that's trying to break into an academy or, or someone that's injury-ridden and, and is trying to get more pitch time? Um, so there's a, there's a massive education piece. And I think from a consumer point of view, we have quite a long buying cycle. So it takes our customers approximately a month um, and around four touch points to, to educate someone before, from a brand knowledge point of view, right through to transaction. So there is a lot of education that's needed in that, in that process. And for us, it's we've been trying to hone in on what are the right, what, how do we answer the, the right questions or give the right answers in that process to, to shorten that almost. So keep, think, keep talking then, what were the tactics that you used to, um, to help with that, to educate people before you're moving them through to purchase? I think, I think accepting, probably there's a couple of things you needed to accept. We had to accept that we weren't doing a one and done. Um, it wasn't a Mad Men campaign where you do a TV ad and you persuade them and you put all your features and benefits out there and then they'll absorb 30 seconds of a TVC and they'll buy your product in one go. It's accepting that, yes, we have shorter touch points, but we have four of them um, approximately. So our education can be sequential. So we give them different bites of what they need or what we think that they need based on their intent at that level. So I think that one of the turning points for me for our campaigns was we went down to the Facebook offices in Dublin and they were showing us a Nielsen study that they did, the joint study. And they were, they were doing a study into the attention, not necessarily attention span, but the time frame it takes for someone to ascertain value from an ad or from a video. And they were able to say that within three seconds, 37% um, of people ascertained the value of that ad. And within seven seconds, 74% have ascertained the value of that ad, which means that our lovely one minute long video that has 50 features and all these benefits and everything were essentially redundant because people weren't going to make it to the end. They were make, ascertaining the value very early. So breaking down, we broke down those messages into what is the most simple way of answering the question, why would I buy this? And then we, we A-B a, B tested the shit out of it, basically, and found the best messages. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a long education process, but it was, it was finding the right messages at the right time, I guess, was the, the main element of that. I remember I having a... Sorry, go on, Ian. I think just the other thing to add to that as well, just in terms of that sort of B2C space, is kind of like, like at the elite level, 
they've all got sports scientists to interpret that data in terms of this is what it means and, the, and these are what the actions are. Whereas by right, right from the start of this project, we were just giving these kids data, which after three weeks they're going right on, this is my speed, how do I get quicker? So we're on an assault charge now for content from influencers, from ambassadors, from elite sports teams who sort of plug that gap in terms of, well, this is how you become quicker. This is how you become uh, more physically fit. So that's that piece of it. And then certainly, for, uh, certainly from Ryan's world and well, any of us as, as marketeers, we've got a real, there's a, there's a real balance to strike here in terms of, yes, it's football, which 50% of the population love, but only 3.5% play it. So in terms of everything that we're doing in terms of messaging and marketing, it's trying to reduce that wastage. Now there'll be uncles and dads within that who, who have got sons course to have, but in terms of to try and hit that 3.5% that play the game is tough, is really tough. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then couple that with um, when you have assets that we've got. I mean, Ryan does a great job in terms of just filtering out just the fans, if that makes sense. Because again, you put Raheem Sterling on, it's the easy job for this guy to drive traffic to the website, easy. But to the website with intent to buy different 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 world yeah. entirely so that so ryan does a really good good job at sort of filtering that out and then retargeting accordingly because again the best players in the world use it and, and advertise it brilliant we still need to go this is what it does these are the benefits the best the best example of that and it's probably the worst ad that that i've ever run was we got ronaldo um, posted organically on his own Instagram channel, millions and millions of followers, like 400 million followers. Or Big, biggest um, ever Instagram account now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. just overtaken like somebody. Used the video, didn't it? Of with, just using our products with, with us, with us wearing our um, our vest, using the product, um, with us having no knowledge of it. Although we did take credit for it afterwards, as if it was pre-planned. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we we cut that up, put it in the ad, um, and put it out, and I think we got nine thousand sessions within the first couple of hours of that ad. But the level of buying intent afterwards, we didn't, but the ad was just eye-catching, drag people on the site. And you could say from a, a pure funnel approach, okay, all these people are on the site, there's going to be some conversion, but the efficiency of moving someone from an awareness piece to considering buying, which we would define as saying add the basket, um, there was very little coming through, which means that we just spent a load of money dragging a load of sessions of Ronaldo fans on the site, and it was almost a waste. So on the surface looks like a success, but when you actually look underneath and see where is there buying intent, then there's there's yeah. virtually none. So that was one of the as one of the learnings for us to say it's very easy to do this, but can we get them to show buying intent after? That's really I think it's a really interesting story because it goes back to that bit I said at the beginning about oh everyone thinks your job's easy, right? Yeah, you know, you've got Ronaldo, oh. you've got Harry Kane, you've got Raheem Sterling. God, why couldn't everyone could sell this? You can't actually. It takes the skill to be able to, to refine, to chisel, to mine the data, to find the people who are interested and get them through as quickly as you can. Yeah, um, no, it's, so, it is. I so, what, no, what I, lessons? I totally, you... I totally sorry. sorry, sorry. So, I totally agree. Like to say, because essentially, this is a this is a pod which is about two and a half inches by about an inch that goes into the back of that uh, of that performance vest that, that then transmits that data through to your phone. You try and explain that, do you know what I mean? It's like, it looks like a pager from 1996 when you look at the actual pod on its own. <laughs> so you can't put a picture of the pod up because everyone goes, what's that? And then you just put the vest up and they go, is it just the vest? So the job that we are doing and continuing to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting some serious success from it, is just sort of strip it right back, right, like, like Ryan says. Yeah, keep the messaging simple. It is, yeah. um, I, someone said to me recently, you're throwing too many tennis balls at people. Um, yeah. and you know, it, it's hard to catch. Throw one tennis ball, people can catch it. Throw 10, 
they don't know which one to catch and they just miss the whole point. And I've, I've must have since I've, I was told that three weeks ago, I must have used it about forty five times in meetings with various now, people. So there you go. <laughs> forty six. There we go. There we go. But it's just such a real clarity of it. Just cut it down, throw one ball, catch it, throw another yeah. one, and just keep building that way. But also as well, like certainly in, in Ryan's world as well, in terms of what the technologies for marketing now allow us to do that in terms of gone are the days of just the big billboard and the TVC. The technologies are there to do it. I mean, Ryan touched on um, Ryan touched on the US there. I was over in New York a few, a few weeks back understanding how they consume television and like connected TV and platforms and all this coming out of everything's coming from the US. It's only going to hit here in the next five to 10 years. It's a digital marketer's dream. In terms of like how you can sort of buy that buy that advertising space, Sky recently last year in the UK, you can basically buy ads of people who are streaming Sky through their PS5s and Xboxes. Well, instinctively, that tells you it's a youth market. So it's kind of like all the big kind of advertisers are really sort of giving you the tools to be able to hit those targets, hit those target markets. Yeah, brilliant stuff. So how do you? build your campaigns around say key buying cycles like black friday or christmas or think you know other january fitness goals do you use those to drive the the, the consumer side of the business yeah i think black black friday like like most people um you love it, you come it at the same time don't you it's it's the biggest <laughs> it's like it's it is game day it's the biggest stress of your life and then you're always like begging for it to be over and then you kind of miss it when it's gone because the hype's gone a little bit so it's love-hate relationship but no, we, we are still a massive gifting product around Christmas yeah. and, and Black Friday plays a massive part in that. You've got a, we're quite a high AOV for, for our particular vertical as well. So a, a discount does respond quite well in that market. How you build a campaign leading into that is, is basically because we know we have a large education period in the lead up, we're essentially using October to bring as many people on the site and educate them and not worry about the conversion element of it just as much. As long as we're bringing through those those two, three, four touch points to educate them, we know that when we press the button on a Black Friday campaign, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be click to buy. It's gonna be the persuasion's already done, and it's almost the conversion period then. And even our creative completely changes going into those periods. Like in October, where we've got a lot of video content that's out, a lot of educational content, and then Black Friday, you're talking very simple, like majority static. Here's Harry Kane's face. Here's the price proposition. By now, it's very, very simple. So I think we we build those pots up from a remarketing perspective, education perspective, and then we just start chopping them out when we get into into the sale period. And do you have do you have that moment as you start to cry sometime in in October where you start to looking at your cost of your ads just going in this awful peak? You don't cry. I'm thinking. Stuff, you spend it, don't you? I cry quietly alone in bed. Um, no, there there is. I, we we do have like a like a little amber period where you can see some turning points in terms of yeah. people are. It's a checkout completion rate. I think is where you start to see people going. Oh, do you know what? I might just hold off and wait for the sale to drop instead. Mm-hmm. And um, a, an element of it is having faith in the process of you've done the education, you've got people to a certain point, and they're waiting for that trigger to kind of complete it off. Um, it's a harder sell into finance, but we, we, <laughs> we have a process. The last couple of years, it's worked. Um, everything's a hard sell into finance when you're in marketing though everything's a hard sell <laughs> yes yeah well, depends, I'll say nothing. depends how you sell it so, <laughs> so uh, ian for, with your cmo hat on ian how do you juggle the competing pressures of managing the brand the stat sports brand that you are you know selling to your everyday footballer you know your weekend warrior 
as well as, you know, going on sale in the run-up to Cyber yeah. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, while yeah. also trying, you know, positioning Stat Sports as this elite brand that yeah. has to sit there in the conversations with Man United and Ronaldo and things like that. What are the challenges you have to deal with in that space? It's, I suppose a lot of the challenges for me is that kind of, it's, it's that balance, isn't it, between brand and performance. And it's one of those, I know it's a bit of an obvious answer, but no one's got the right answer for it. And if we did, we'd all be more high-paid jobs as we are. From Ryan's performance head, sometimes he will question what I'm doing. Don't you, Ryan? I don't know what you're talking about. There you go. It is totally my, my responsibility just in terms of those, what I call key energy moments for those, for those sports. We need to be around it. So whether that is the start of season, whether that is a major tournament, it's up to us to ride that wave and sort of increase our awareness. I mean, take the Euros. Like yes, the Ukraine moment was 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 fantastic, but I mean that that campaign was starting planning from like the previous year, just in terms of getting ready for it. We, we knew we had the assets. A little bit of luck along the way, like Maguire scored, Sterling scored, Kane scored. All our all our assets scored. England got to the final, but at the same time, it's just making sure that we are visible at the right moments in that premium facility, and then also buying media tactically where you can to sort of get around your audience in the most cost efficient manner to then let this guy take over when um, when they've sort of come into our ecosystem. I mean, I'm, I'm wanting to get the best traffic possible into our websites or our social channels so this guy can take over on um, on the retargeting. The other side of that is, if, if you look at then the sort of retailer conversations that, um, that we have, I mean, we're in some pretty big retailers now. I think we've got three kind of shopping shops on Oxford, on Oxford Street in London, the busiest shopping street in, in, um, in Europe. And that's because we have good content and we have evergreen content as well. We're not like United or Adidas to change a product every 12 weeks of a new colorway. We've got the best players in the world that can sit in those retailers all, all year round. They love it. We love it. And it, it, it's only adding to it. I mean, those stores on Oxford Street, it's about a million, about a million people a year footfall. That, that isn't bad for the brand. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I might not sell quite as many as, as, as what, what the website can do, but I've got to measure that kind of intent and the time of the year and the energy moments around it to make sure I'm, I'm where I need to be. I, th I think to build on that as well, like before starting at Stat Sports, I would have always come in with a performance head of like, he still, this is, he still does. This is what your return on spend is. This is what we efficiently spend. Whereas Ian's a massive advocate of the market and mix approach and having multiple touch points, you want to exist and have content where the customer exists. And um, that's completely changed my mindset to an extent on how, we, <laughs> how you approach marketing in that perspective. And I think a key example of it is once you turn off the top and some of that brand marketing piece, um, that top of funnel, yes, you don't see the knock-on effect in terms of sales short-term, but then long-term, you start to see, if you're not if you're not creating that education piece, long-term, you start to see those sales sort of fall away. And I think there was a piece in Marketing Week from Adidas where I think they got in and then they switched up their balance of brand versus performance and went fully short-term and completely trashed their sales long-term um, because they had the short-term approach. And I think it is, I think there is a balance in that between where you can efficiently spend and attribute um, sales, but um, you need that brand aspect to it. Otherwise, it's going to make my life a lot harder, I guess. I think to add to that as well, it's that kind of, when you talk about peaks and troughs, you've got the kind of, the consumer's peaks and troughs around when is the gift giving period. I mean, back in my old world, it was Easter back to school and Christmas, whereas this one is pretty much just Christmas. But then you've got the peaks and troughs, troughs of, the, of the sporting calendar. So like we're going into 2022, we've got the World Cup at Christmas. Like this is just blowing people's minds in terms of like as an opportunity, what it is for the sports industry, but then also making sure it isn't a massive red herring. If you go back to, I was around um, 
London 2012, the Olympics, everyone thought there'd be this massive sports boom. That the kind of wasn't. People just like buying Union Jacks in London, going down Oxford Street. That was kind of all, all those shops that sell like the red buses and all that. They they made hay. The sports didn't really make hay off it, even though the greatest show on earth were, uh, was in town. I think the interesting thing as well, when you speak about the brand and performance piece, it always makes me laugh as a CMO when it gets to January and everybody tries to take success for it. So if you speak to the PR agency, oh, it's because of us, it's always because of us, always TV, always because of us, which is all great, but it's that mix of you're all in it together, let's all move forward together. So it, it just makes you laugh like anything like sort of social growth, everyone will try and take it as, as, as it's their responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility. Brilliant. I am going to take the clip of Ryan um, um, performance market and moving to loving brand marketing. That's going to be the clip that we used to. Oh, put no, that's that's I, I think delete that straight away. I just my not a chance on the line here. It's always not a exactly. chance. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'd be interesting. I'm going to maybe get him back on the podcast on his own and then see what he really says. Performance <laughs> marketing. We do everything. It's none of that brand. All that brand shit. It's all us. We do all our work. <laughs> So, you told me you'd never ask that. So, um, so I want to kind of jump back to sort of some of the, the PR slash brand work that you get as well, because yeah. I want to link to it in the show notes about the uh, football focus piece that, that happened. Um, was it football focus or was it match of the day? Which one? Um, you're on the mall. It was the one <laughs> where it went into the Arsenal Academy and they had the... Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It was on... Um, th th there was a BBC click piece that we did. Um, so, yeah, the Arsenal... The Arsenal deal was the kind of, again, the owners have been planning this and plotting this for a number of years. This is, we always talk about joining the dots between the elite and the consumer. This is the first one that does that. This is the real kind of selling the sizzle in terms of the, the, the Arsenal first team use it. You can use the same technology. You can compare yourself to the academy players based on age, position and gender. You can compare yourself against the top players if you want to. And then ultimately that data is then shared with Arsenal Football Club. So if you're hitting the right stats, there's no reason why they can't bring you in for the trial. In terms of the perfect kind of idea for a campaign and joining the dots between the elite space and the consumer space, that's it in terms of, wow, that, that really, right, I get it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that, I think Per Mertesacker Mert was on there. Is he in charge of the Arsenal Academy? He's the, he's the Academy director. And again, he yeah. was using our technology as a player as well. So he was he was saying on it. And this, this is where, what did they say about a professional sports person? It's a case of it's, it's talent, it's mindset, and it's physical attributes. Get those three right and you've nailed it. If one of those drops, the other two will suffer. So we are a massive part of that in terms of the development of um, elite, elite athletes. Has there been any examples of maybe uh, young players strapping their um, stat sports performance vest onto the dog to get kind of the top speeds up so that they're... Um... That, no, 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 mine are all, mine are all legit. I'm not sure yeah. about that. No, well, again, no, but again, because the human body can only go so fast, we, we put a cap on it in terms of like, because I mean, I've done it myself, you keep your pod and drive off and you think you're going yeah. 30 miles an hour, but... but... <laughs> But the pod recognises the fact that no human can go this fast, if that makes sense. So, so that's fine. Yeah, brilliant. So, and and that's, so that Arsenal piece is a really, uh, it, again, it's in the show notes, hopefully, but it, it's a really great example of the, the B2B and the B2C Absolutely. worlds combining together. And I, I take it you're looking for more deals like that in different markets and in, with different clubs? Yeah, absolutely. I can't I can't say the clubs, but we started with Arsenal, who, who are a big brand, but we're speaking to... Yeah. Is it Donegal D Rugby Club? 
Uh, no, I don't think it is, in fairness. <laughs> well, as, as soon as you launch the partnership with, with the D, uh, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll publicize that's, that's it. That's the, the great white buffalo right there. That's the, absolutely. That's the <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Talks are ongoing because, I mean, like I say, it, it, it sparks interest for those commercial departments, doesn't it? Ooh, what's this? New revenue stream. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, and just to, to kind of wrap up where you, you mentioned revenue streams, so to bring it back, for the consumer part of the world, are you a... A product business, a bit like a Fitbit, where you you sell the product and that's it, or is it more of a SaaS model where there's an ongoing kind of dive in to keep hold of all the data and, and more analytics access? I think I think right now it is that kind of hardware, which which is what we are. Um, however, where it's going to go in the next twelve to twenty four months, nobody knows. There's 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 a million ways of skinning it. Yes, we've got data. Yes. There's a potential subscription products available within our within our industry, or yes, we can sell it outright. I, I just think, like I say, we've all come out of lockdown as well. The fitness industry per se, this the, the kind of fitness, whatever you want to call it, is that it's going to twist and turn a lot over the next twelve months, and and, and there's going to be harsh lessons from certain industries that think they've nailed it, and they haven't. Simple as that. Like we're going into a completely new world. No one's going to predict what's happening this time next year. I think it would be foolish to say we're going to do X because the world's going to be Y. I read um, uh, Professor Scott Galloway, who is uh, an interesting character. I don't know if you've, if you've come across him or you read him. He's very uh, American and very bullish on his opinions, um, even when he's not right. But he is right a lot of the time. But one of the things he talks about is about the share prices of the, the, the big companies, the Apples, the Amazons and things like that. And he dives into it and looks at basically the, the, the only thing a lot of their shareholders care about isn't actually revenue. It's about growth. So when you start to boil it down and you look at where can they grow, the markets that they are dominant in, there's not really any growth. And there's only a few areas where they can go into. And healthcare is a big one. And you know, and Google yeah. bought Fitbit. And moving into sort of healthcare and fitness and that sort of area, there's rumors Amazon are going to buy Peloton. The big companies are moving aggressively into the fitness space, which same reason they're going into TV and entertainment and the same reason they're going into education and different areas. Because they're probably the only the only categories that can go in and get the sort of growth that they're after. And military as well, actually, and, yeah. and they're all bidding for a massive US military contract. So th there's elements of that there, and that will fundamentally change the industry you're in, won't it? That when the Amazons, Facebooks, and Apples start weighing in seriously into that industry, everything changes, doesn't it? And that's a... An exciting and terrifying thing at the same time, is it? Uh, I think it's exciting and hugely terrifying. Yeah, I mean the only <laughs> thing. To, I mean the only thing to add to that, and this is about um, blowing our own trumpet, which we are. I mean, if you take the Worldwide Developers Conference for Apple last year, our product was on it in terms of when, when in the elite space of putting the technology to the watch. Apple were like, I don't know how you do that. How have you got that data into a cloud and down to a watch in real time? They were blown away by it. And then even down to like back in, I think 2015, I think we worked with Nike to develop the first female football boot. So like the big boys know who we are and, and, and we know who they are. And I think, I think we take reassurance from that in terms of we're still best in class. You know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of all, all the finances they've got, we're still best in class. And we, we say it all the time, like Nike could bring this thing out tomorrow. Of course they could. But you look at we're on like what the eighth evolution of the kind of hardware and software you saw what Nike did with, 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 with golf clubs in terms of they just couldn't do it. In terms of like, there's you can't just come in and just own a market. You saw mm -hmm. I did have to do it with my coach in about 2013. It didn't work. Do you know what I mean? So we've got to take some confidence from that, that 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 we know what we're doing and our technology works, unlike some others. Yeah, excellent. So that, that's the second clip we'll use. 
Um, Ian Forrester says we're better than Nike, and then I'll just clip that up. <laughs> Edit it slightly. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Well, look, as, as we get to the end of the podcast, I ask the same sort of questions to, to every guest. So, uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll throw at you first. Where, where do you go to keep on top of what's changing in marketing? Where Are you a, a reader, a, a blogger, a podcaster? What, what do you, where do you pick your information up from? Um, probably yeah, probably a mix. Um, I think over lockdown, massively got into podcasts. I think trying to go on walks for my own sanity um, probably added to that a little bit. Yeah, um, always always been a big reader, and then tw- Twitter uh, for all the pitfalls of Twitter from a general societal point of view. Um, <laughs> wow. Twitter Twitter in the market and e-com space is actually incredibly valuable, and if you if you follow the right people, then you can get a huge amount of value and people can be very transparent as well on that platform. So and any, any podcast, any podcast you'd recommend other than this fabulous one? Anyway? The strategy it's sessions just, podcast. It's just, this, um, isn't it? it's just this. One, it's one of the finest, thing. one yeah. of the finest. Yeah. Um, I like, I like the business breakdowns podcast. Um, yeah. It comes from maybe more of an investor point of view, but it's a good background. There's one on Peloton recently. Um, it broke down kind of there. It was before they released that statement on why the CEO was terrible, um, but it was a nice breakdown in their growth and their their purchasing patterns for that type of stuff. Um, yeah, so, so stuff like that. But primarily, what I'd be listening to, there's a couple of um, good ecom ones out there that I can't think of off the top of my head. Um, but and then this one, of yeah. course. Absolutely. But, um, this one. B- what- books, books wise, um, thinking fast and slow is probably I would recommend that to any person in ecom yep. to be honest i think that's like a staple and then i've just finished the book traction um at the minute with uh gina whitman sounds like a thriller traction yeah it's 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 yeah is it up there it's up there yeah yeah that, that's it's, it's not being read that's just there's a lot of intelligent looking books up there so people go, i thought, oh, I thought looking... that was a green screen i didn't know that they were real <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there is actually viz's profanisaurus over in the corner as well just there so um they're not all intelligent books so let, let's move on from that yeah, uh, it's the dictionary of profanity is what it is, um, which is anyway, move on quickly. Uh, so traction. <laughs> and Ian, what about you? Well, in terms of books, I've read uh, how I sort yeah. of keep on top of everything. To yeah. How do, you, how do you stay on top of what's changing? Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, number one, I am a sports nut. I mean, it doesn't kind of go without saying. So I consume sport, every type of sport. And, and, and in this industry, obviously it helps. Um, and I think in terms of what I'll kind of do is the certain the certain companies, the certain buzzwords, that if I see it in the news, I'm, I'm going to read further on it. Um, so there isn't a particular pattern that I sort of, um, sort of keep week, week to week. But listen, you sort of you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, you're reading the newspapers, you're reading the website, something will sort of catch your eye. And, and, and then I sort of go into a little bit of a black hole reading about it. Uh, and then layer, layer onto the top of that, the sort of business of sport. Because I mean, it is a, the business of sport. It, it just it keeps us very, very much busy. Um, yeah, that, that's what I kind of look at in terms of books. Really, I can't be honest with you. I, I'm a big, massive one for sports autobiographies, just in terms of people, how they've done it, how they become the best in the world. And, and, and you look at the traits that they've got; it's mind blowing. You know what I mean, a lot of the sort of the new digital stuff. I rely on this guy to send me WhatsApp saying, "Listen to this," and um, that keeps me abreast of everything. Have you? I, I stopped reading sports autobiographies. I'll, I'll not. Uh, I'll not name the person. It was. A, it was a very famous cricketer's autobiography, and I, it, a massive fan of this cricket. And I read the autobiography. And it you was, tell us who it is now. You can't. You can't stop at that. Uh, it was. It was De- Devon Malcolm. It was oh, one okay, of the yeah. most. But you guys are history. It's called. And you know, it's like it, it's a whole book, 
that could well have been three paragraphs, right? You're just like, oh my goodness, this is just not that interesting. And after that, I was like, I can't read sports autobiographies anymore. And I think the only one, the one I've read since then was Peter Crouch, uh, which right, is yeah. sort of an autobiography, but yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a different a bit of crack, isn't it? It's like, like yeah. Yeah, I, I just read James Haskell's and like love him all over him, but like he's, he's just a lad on the piss. And you, like, yeah. that's, that's, that's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, bit of banter about him. So brilliant stuff. And then my last question to both of you. Are there any questions you usually get asked on podcasts that I haven't asked today? Did he mention the bra? I think he mentioned the bra, didn't he? I think he said bra several times. I think yeah. 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 That's like the normal one we get, yeah. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm nothing if not popular, but we'll we'll get the picture of Ryan in the bra for the, uh, for the podcast promo picture. <laughs> that, was a, that was a private one just for you, actually. Oh, oh, shit, purple, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> No, good stuff. Well, listen, Ian, Ryan, thank you very much for your time you. and uh, good luck with the future. Cheers. Brilliant. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.